again. <clears throat> yeah. It's good to see who are uncomfortable in the silence, the awkward pauses. Um, do keep that part of the Bible open, Luke 16, paper or device. Um, and just as you're doing that, all right, you can open up on page 17 in your booklets if you're so inclined. And just as you're doing that, as we get settled, um, it's wonderful that you're here with others sitting next to you and around about you. Um, just remember that there isn't any one of us, I think, I'll happily be proven wrong, but I'm not sure if there's any one of us who knows every single other person here at this conference. So some of us will be feeling like, I don't know anyone, but I don't think there's many of us who know everyone. So keep that in mind as you keep opening up your conversations and circles, even as you're in line waiting for food, turn to introduce yourself. What did you learn? Whatever you've just come from and keep opening up those circles, won't you? I mean, look at the topic. We could do it this week. Um, and likewise to our friends from Focus, um, not just because I know and love them and they're worth getting to know, but as a good host and guest uh, to our friends from other countries. And for all of us, like NYC is a different conference, so you'll calibrate, but um, just uh, we'll keep loving and serving each other. I think that's enough time. Let me pray for us. Great God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a good and gracious God. You care for all that you've made. And we thank you for answering our prayers in bringing us here safely. We do think and remember of our brothers and sisters who've been prevented from coming or who are isolating awaiting test results, that you'll comfort them and strengthen them, please, to keep trusting you and your son. Please, Father, strengthen us now to know you in your word and fill us with all joy and peace in believing. Uphold me to speak what's true. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. Well, let me take you back in time. A long time ago, and we're actually on the previous slide. That's a good start, isn't it? No, yep, just so that you don't be one ahead. Thanks, fellas, they served us so well. Um, so we are one ahead. But a long time ago, let me take you there, a galaxy not so far away. This time involved customers fighting over Cadbury Caramilk and not toilet paper. And it involved a time when for Aussies to mask up meant you were going to some costume party and not to the shops. And it was a time, I don't know if this is true, but taking a rat was taking a dead one out to your garbage bin and not inserting something up your nostril. <laughs> this other world, you remember it, of course, is the pre-pandemic world pre this pandemic, of course. So some of you, it was the HSC, perhaps. That's a stress. 
others of you maybe earlier or later. But I hear it was a time when young adults, not unlike yourselves, were happy to do relationships online. Your socials, your platforms, your DMs and watch parties. Friendship online was fine because for some, I can't, I can't even, I can't do face to face. It's too hard and makes me anxious and actually understand that. When it comes to face to face relationships, you could say you can't live with them. But then COVID, COVID became the one word excuse for everything, didn't it? Where were you last week? COVID. Why didn't you submit? COVID. <laughs> What's your name? No, hopefully, no, that definitely, that's too much. But suddenly everything was online because of COVID. School was online. Uni was online. Work, if you were so privileged, was online. Church was online and socialising was online. But now there was no choice about it. Online life was thrust upon us all without any choice and suddenly online life was not okay. Before it was opt-in, but now everyone's in all at once. Before it was just for social interaction, every single interaction now. And we learned collectively, didn't we, we're not made for online. It was interesting. We're not made for it. Did you hear anyone say that? I heard plenty say it. And you didn't have to be Christian to observe that. When it came to face-to-face -face relationship, we can't live without them. Can't live with them. Can't live without them. Now, of course, there is another sense in which you can't live without them. Had it not been for the intimate relationship or human decision of your parents' will, none of us would be in this room right now. That might be an image you don't want to dwell on for too long. And we might even return there later this week. But actually, you know, more seriously, for some of us, that is not a happy place. It's a painful place because the man who fathered us was hardly a father. So we must be sensitive on this big topic this week. But why is it when it comes to relationships, we can't live with them and we know we can't live without them? Well, according to one scholar, an Australian, Broughton Knox, relationships are ultimate reality. And now we, the staff, this week, we are very much looking forward to opening the Bible with you on this immense topic, really. And we hope it will be a life-changing week. It is special to be here, isn't it? We've missed for two years at least COVID. <laughs> COVID, that's the word. I didn't even mean to say it. MYC, we've missed MYC because of COVID. But in these night sessions, we're going to spend most of our time in the parables of Luke's gospel. And they're mostly going to be parables unique to Luke that not found in other gospels. But of course, to understand the parables, we're going to need to look at other parts of the Bible. 
And now normally at Uni Bible Talks or at our focus main meetings on Thursday nights, we'll move through books of the Bible, chunk after chunk. Just keep going as God's revealed. That's our normal diet. But this week we're going to be looking at this topic theologically and I'll attempt to teach the, what the Bible says on this topic rather than working through passage by passage. So we're going to be in Luke's parables, but not in the way we normally know. But of course, if you've got questions, ask your friends, ask each other, support each other along the way. So let's begin. And point number one, point one, life and death, and then what? The Gospel of Luke, as you know, is like a biography of Jesus' life. In chapter two, we hear the story of his birth, And unlike ours, Jesus' birth did not come by sexual intercourse of a man and woman. His mother, Mary, was a virgin, unmarried, and the Holy Spirit was upon her, giving her this child as spoken by the angel Gabriel sent by God. He's born of the virgin, Mary. And then after his adult baptism, Jesus begins his ministry, teaching, and also healing, and he faces opposition from the Jewish leaders. And an important turning point comes at Luke chapter 9. So we're going to turn there, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Going to do lots of this Bible flicking. Luke chapter 9. And verse 51, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, Israel's capital, and the epicenter of opposition against Jesus. Now, that's the context to these parables we'll be looking at. Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, actually on the way to death. And then what? We'll see for him later on this week. But what is a parable? If you were to explain to someone, what's a parable? Well, here's an imperfect definition. It's a short story from everyday life with relatable characters and a hidden meaning about God or the kingdom of God. And why parables? Why did Jesus teach in parables? Well, for this, let's hear from him himself. Luke chapter 8, come to Luke chapter 8 and verse 4. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing 
they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path of those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Why parables? Verse 10. The disciples are granted to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others, parables. So they won't know and be excluded from life in the kingdom. Jesus teaches in parables, so some will and some won't understand. Hands up if we've got any education students with us. Education students, just a few quiet ones. Excellent. Is this good teaching method that some won't understand? I'll let you ponder that and discuss it amongst your education students. But let's turn to our parable for tonight and meet these characters once more. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Verse 19 and 20. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. The description of these two men is quite opposite. Two men, opposite lives. Firstly, a rich man, verse 19, and a poor man, verse 20, named Lazarus. Their finances is the first thing we learn. Second is their location, in or out. The phrasing, he was clothed, sort of, gives that air of importance, doesn't it? Like being dressed like a Lord Grantham in Downton Abbey or something of that nature. But the poor man isn't described as clothed but was laid at the rich man's gate. So instead of importance for him, it is distance for him. And it's their condition, thirdly. The rich feasted, lives a life of luxury every day, and the poor is covered in sores. And then the description just keeps going for this poor man like a cruel joke. Verse 21, the poor man with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. It's just like it just keeps going, kicking while he's down. That's their life. And then for both of them comes death. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And now that's the last time he's described as the poor man. He's Lazarus from here. And now it's not the poor man whose description we hear lots of, but it's changed and it's the rich man. So as I read 23 to 26, 
listen for how their earthly lives is now reversed. Look at 23 with me. Verse 23. The rich man died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. You see the reversal. The rich man once feasted and now he's in torment. Lazarus, once hungry, is now comforted with Abraham. Lazarus once longed for the scraps from the table of the rich man and now the rich man longs for relief from Lazarus's finger. And before the rich and poor divide, wouldn't be crossed at the gate and now the divide cannot be crossed. Now there's a danger in the parables, danger for us. Sometimes we can press them too hard, press them for meaning that's not actually there. And we could look at this parable and say social justice is the number one issue in this parable. And yes, God, the God of the Bible, cares greatly about social justice, which you see all through the Old and New Testament. But there's more, much more going on here. So we need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. The Bible interpret the Bible. And to do that, we're going to look into who is this Abraham? We're still in point number one. Who is Abraham? See how the rich man addresses him? Verse 24 Verse 24, and he called out, Father Abraham. Verse 27, Father. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham. Who is Father Abraham? We need to go back in the Bible, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 12. It's the first book of the Bible. You all know that. You did it in seminar one today. Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does Abram receive from God? A command and a promise. What do you do when you hear a promise? What do you do? Maybe you weigh it, whether you can accept it or not, depending on if you think they're trustworthy on their promise. Abram is promised blessing from God. He's promised land 
He's promised to be made into a great nation, like offspring, and blessing, in verse 3, for all the families of the earth through him. BLOB, if you like acronyms, which we don't like so much anymore at Uni Bible Group, but BLOB is an acronym you can write down for blessing, land, offspring, and blessing to the whole world. But, yes, it's good. But his wife, Sarah, is barren, chapter 11, verse 30. And he is 75 years old. It's not the most fertile ground, you might say, to receive a promise of offspring. But what is Abraham's response? Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He goes to the land as God commanded. Abram hears another word from God having gone. So let's go to chapter 15. Genesis 15. Yay, let's go there. Genesis 15. He's gone. And let's see, let's hear this other word from God. Chapter 15 from verse 1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Two things to note. First, he still has no offspring. He's not getting any younger but God repeats, your very own son will be your heir. And count the stars if you can. You could do that tonight if we have the bushfire, the bushfire, campfire. <laughs> Words are important. <laughs> Look at the stars. Show, so, shall, so shall your offspring be. And what does Abram, Abram do? Verse 6 believed the Lord. He trusts God at his word and God counts it to him as righteousness, credits him. Who is Father Abraham? He's the father of God's people having believed God's promise. The father of God's people having believed God's promise. The second thing to note is God's covenant. Genesis 15, verse 18. Genesis 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And it goes on. A covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is the formal beginning and regulation of a relationship the formal beginning and regulation of a relationship. 
perhaps like a marriage covenant. Hands up if we've got anyone who's been married recently or attended a wedding recently. That's some of us. Okay, it's important for us to be on the same page here, isn't it? Like marriage, upon marriage, two parties enter a formal relationship that the covenant will then regulate. And you know the words if you've been to a wedding with perhaps at an Anglican church, it goes along the lines of this, to have and to hold from this day forward, that's the beginning, entering in, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, da, 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 as long as we both shall live. You hear the terms, the regulations of the relationship, exclusive, lifelong, through the ups and downs of life. But unlike a marriage which involves both parties making promises, this covenant, this covenant, Genesis 15, is unilateral. It's not bilateral by two sides, but one side, God's side, promising to give Abram's offspring this land. God has actually so bound himself to Abraham and his offspring by a promise of covenant. So with his aging wife, Sarah, who's still born him no children, God gave Abraham a son through Sarah, chapter 21, verse 2, at the time promised. Him aged 100, Sarah 99. And from that child of promise, Isaac, with whom God's covenant is established, comes Jacob, whom God renames Israel, chapter 35. And from Jacob come 12 sons, 12 tribes of Israel. But by Exodus 1, these 12 tribes are in Egypt, increasing greatly in number, but not in the land of promise. They're living under Pharaoh as slaves in Egypt, and God raises up a leader for them, the prophet Moses. And when God addresses Moses for the first time, how does he introduce himself? Let's see. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. The next book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus numbers. Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is Father Abraham? For Israel, he is literally the father of the nation. They were birthed from him. 
as promised by God. That's Father Abraham. So, so, why is the rich man in Luke chapter 16 crying out to Father Abraham? He doesn't cry to God. He doesn't cry to an angel, but he cries to Father Abraham. That sounds like a good discussion question. Turn to the person next to you. Have a go at discussing this for 30 seconds. Why cry to Father Abraham? There you go. Okay, anyone would like to volunteer an answer? We're amongst friends. Yes. Right, he's have a sense of entitlement to God's kingdom. Excellent. Anyone on this side? Yes. Excellent. This is good. Thank you. These are good. We're just raising questions. And sometimes at MYC, if you ask the question, that might actually help unlock it for more than yourself, for others around about you. So I want to encourage, keep, keep asking questions in the text. So why is it? It could be one of those. It could be maybe is Abraham more approachable than God? Maybe perhaps like um, you might hear from some Roman Catholic friends who pray to Mary as mother of the Lord Jesus, not God, because she might be more gentle or understanding, perhaps. And if we do have Roman Catholic friends amongst us, it's excellent that you're here. You're here in the right place with us as we open the Bible together. But so far in Luke's gospel, it's actually a dangerous thing to consider Abraham as your father. Come back to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It's during the time of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And this is John the Baptist speaking. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. He, John the Baptist, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Why is he so harsh? These are Israelites he's speaking to, aren't they? Descended from Abraham. Couldn't, oh, couldn't John the Baptist be a bit more relational? But it's because not everyone born of Israel belongs to Israel. And I think some of you are on to this. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Let's go there. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. 
but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. The rich man cries to Abraham as a child, if you like, of the flesh. Like these Jewish leaders whom John the Baptist calls offspring of vipers, not Abraham. But how does one know if they're a child of the promise or not? We'll come back to that. The final thing to note in this point one, point one is the reality of God's judgment. We'll return, I'll read from Luke 16 and verse 25. Luke chapter 16 and verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. It's a very real judgment. You could look in Psalm 1 to see it's very real, and it's just, it's not unjust. Each one will receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body. And for the wicked, it is painful, described by Jesus as flames, it's irrevocable or permanent. So any concept of a purgatory is actually not true from the Bible. And we'll explore this a little more in tomorrow night's talk. But for point number one, life, death, then what? Well, in this parable, it's pain of Hades or comfort with Abraham. Point number two, made for relationship. Now we're going to, of course, explore relationships in depth this week. And there are some key components that you need for relationships. So, have you seen any of the following films or TV series to get us going? Let's have a show of hands, eh? Lost in Space, a show of hands. Either the Netflix one or one of the other ones. Yes, okay, not so many. Arrival, the film. Yep, not so many. How to Train Your Dragon. Wow. And Home Alone 1. Okay, wow, so interesting. Who could have picked that? Now, we're not gonna discuss this question That'll just be ridiculous. What do they have in common? Let's just go straight to it. All of them involve a story arc of going from no relationship with a creature to knowing a creature. Who is robot? Lost in space. Who are these aliens who've just parked their ships? Who are they? Why must dragons be killed? And is old man Marley a killer? (laughs) Then you laugh. 
How can we know them? How can you know another? You can't. Unless they reveal themselves to you. This is true of any interpersonal relationship. Think about a friend, any friend from school or uni or church, uni Bible group here. How did you become friends? Friendship comes through personal conversation, doesn't it? Associating personally together, one speaking to the other and the other responding and that takes spending time together, doesn't it? And you can decide to reveal something about yourself or not. You could decide to speak to that person or not, just like you can decide to post on your socials or not. It's your decision. But self-revelation is essential for interpersonal relationship. And it is this, it, this is true of God. But how much more so? We cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us. In the words of Broughton Knox, again, once deity has acted to reveal itself, then the event passes into history. From that moment on, it is an historical event which cannot be eliminated from the passage of time. It is written into the ongoing pages of history. And the whole genre of alien movies trades on this, doesn't it? How much of that alien movie is just waiting and waiting for the alien to reveal themselves to us, to make contact? And language helps, doesn't it, if you've seen Arrival, to speak. And once it does, it cannot be undone from time. That communication changes everything, doesn't it? And friends, this is true of the living God who has spoken. We heard him in Genesis 12 to Abraham, who goes from not knowing God at all to hearing God speak to him by promise. And that can't be eliminated from time. God revealed himself by speaking, not by an inner feeling, not by an emotional state, because these are non-verbal and too subjective. They are hardly a reliable way to know anybody. But God spoke by promise. Abraham believed, and God continued to speak to Abraham, counting him a friend. And Abraham could be sure he knew God. And it's actually the same reason Luke wrote his gospel, this book, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. So his patron, Theophilus, might be sure of the things he'd been taught. So let's rejoin that conversation again in our parable, Luke 16, between the rich man, who's in Hades, and Father Abraham, verse 27 of Luke 16. And he said, the rich man said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. See the logic? If Lazarus can't pass from there to here, 
send him to my father's house to warn my five brothers. He can go there, right? If he can't go, go there. But can you see he's missing the point between what he, what he does ask here, the five brothers, and what he could have had, could have asked. What could he have asked? He could have asked the God of promise and of blessing and of life from barrenness to so bless those five brothers. But what does he ask? A warning so they can avoid hell. Hades. He asks for a gate pass when relationship is on offer. A gate pass when relationship with God is available because God has made himself known by speaking. He doesn't know what is ultimately for their good. And maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've thought it. Unbelievers whose questions about God are all on actually quite puny terms, not on God's terms, which is why reading the Bible is actually such a great evangelistic tool because it helps us to know the God who's made us and frames and understand the questions to ask. Rewires us. His motives, though, perhaps aren't all bad. He rightly wants his five brothers to avoid where he is, Hades. Though he, in his lifetime, was evil, he still knows how to ask for somewhat good things for his brothers because he's still made in the image of God, which I believe you've looked at a little this evening in seminar one. In the image of God, the God of the Bible, who is in himself other person centered other person centered love in himself relationship as father son and holy spirit we are made in the image of god for relationship we are relational creatures to the core of our being and this is what the world has collectively understood in covid we're not made for iso but for relationship with God, first of all, and of course, with one another. So how does Father Abraham answer this request? Point number three, you may know another world. Look at verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Moses, remember we've met him in Exodus 3 when God introduced himself and God used Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea, the great salvation event of the Old Testament and having rescued his people Israel, they came before God at Mount Sinai and what happened there? Exodus 20, come to Exodus 20 verse 1. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. 
with the gathered people of God there, what happened? And God spoke all these words, saying, God spoke. They heard God speak from the mountain. Not through a prophet, but directly the gathered people of God. It had never happened before in history. It's never happened since on this scale. The nation hearing God himself. So in what sense do the five surviving brothers of this rich man have Moses hundreds of years later or even have the prophets whose job it was to speak God's word to the people in scripture the written word of God Jesus says hearing Moses and the prophets is all they need as I hope you're starting to see, the rich man's requests are really flawed. Give me relief. No, you had your good things on earth and now no one can cross. Give my brothers warning. No, they have Moses and the prophets. God has made known to us another world, not just that of torment, as real as it is, but another world of comfort with Father Abraham, despite all the wrongs that happen on earth another world with God and all his gathered people. And we see some of that in Hebrews chapter 11. So let's go there. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible. You could flick backwards from Revelation and soon find Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. We read that tonight. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a, land, a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. The Dutch theologian Herman Bavink said, the revelation of scripture makes known to us another world, a world of holiness and glory. This other world descends into this fallen world, not just as a doctrine teaching, but also as a divine power which leads out of sin through grace to glory. How is it made known? The scriptures, in script, the written word of God, let them hear Moses and the prophets. Brings us to final point, number four, made known all that we need. There's a last pushback from the rich man. Luke chapter 16, let's go back there. Luke chapter 16, the final verses, 30 to 31.
Luke chapter 16, verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This passage is dripping with irony now. Can you hear? The rich man's requests have been met by two no's, and now he says it straight out, no. Is that not what sin is? No to what God has said. It's dripping with irony because Jesus has already raised the dead twice in Luke 7, but still Israel's leaders don't repent. It's dripping with irony because it's the Gentiles who don't have God's word who, Jesus says, do believe, like the Roman centurion whose dead servant Jesus raised. They had, he had faith like, unlike any in Israel or the widow of Zarephath that he talks about in Luke 4. It's dripping with irony because, of course, Jesus predicts his own suffering and death and rising again. And it's dripping with irony because this rich man refuses to believe the word, even still correcting Abraham from Hades. Have you ever heard someone say so confidently, if Jesus just showed himself alive today, I'd believe him. Such confidence, isn't it? What a knockdown argument. The same confidence as the rich man in verse 30. Hear it from Jesus' mouth. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. God's word is not only sufficient, it is authoritative. It is powerful to save if we would but hear. We've heard that judgment after death is very real. But judgment has already begun by how people respond to the parables. Remember Jesus in Luke chapter 8, verse 10. Why did he teach like this? So that hearing they may not understand, which is itself a quote from the prophets, Isaiah 6. It's all God's work by his word. He's doing it all. Who have we heard tonight? We've heard the voice of God directly to Abraham, directly to Moses, directly to the people. I didn't actually read it to the people, but, and directly from Jesus. So how will we respond? If God has revealed himself in human history irreversibly and his word is sufficient to know him and authoritative and powerful to save, if God's revealed himself by a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and through, the, through Moses and the prophets, and if we have Moses and the prophets in his written scriptures here, then today if you hear his voice, what will you do? Will you listen to him, 
to know him and so join in the sure hope with Abraham of that world to come, the city of God. Or like the rich man, even from Hades, will you say no? If you do listen to him, it changes all of life. As it did for Abraham, and as we're going to hear more and more this week. But as a taster, let's consider that great film once more, How to Train Your Dragon, where the boy Hiccup spends time with the dragon Toothless. And over time, Toothless reveals himself, herself, Sorry? Thanks. Seen it once only. Himself to hiccup. And life is changed for the whole village. No longer are homes destroyed by dragons and rebuilt every year. How annoying is that? No longer are kids trained from an early age to fight dragons as their way of life. But we can't romanticise dragons too much. Remember, we have the sufficient word of God and in the Bible, the dragon in Revelation 12 is Satan. <laughs> and his words are not to be trusted because he speaks lies and that's his native language. So let's just be clear on that, okay? But going back to this one, if knowing a dragon changed all of life for the whole village of Burke, Knowing God changes life, all of life in this world. In fact, for every nation of this world whose flags you can see behind you as we await the world to come, listening to him, our master's voice. To finish, his master's voice HMV, before it was a UK-branded music shop. It was a painting from around 1898 where Nipper the dog is pictured with a tilted head listening to a gramophone. And it was painted by Francis Barraud, who took care of this dog, Nipper, after his brother Mark passed away. The dog's owner, Mark, died. But before he died, Mark recorded his voice on some cylinders, like discs, and they were play, uh, passed on to his brother, and he played it. And so came the famous picture of Nipper's head, tilted inquisitively upon hearing his dead master's voice. Ours is not a dead master's voice, but the one true living God and his voice that changes everything. Foundational to belief in him isn't even in the event of someone rising from the dead. Though true in our Lord Jesus Christ risen, but hearing him, hearing him, 
when he speaks. And so it's the question, will you listen? Will you listen and hold to the word, bearing fruit with patience like the good soil we heard in Luke 8? For better or even for worse, as we've seen in that poor man. Our world has learned that we're not made for online, but for relationship. But like the rich man, the world totally misses the point. Yes, we bear God's image for relationship, yes. But will you hear the God of Abraham who speaks in the scriptures for ultimate relationship with him that changes everything? Let's pray. Great God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God and that you have revealed yourself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to Moses, to your people, Israel on the mountain and through the prophets. And Father, we thank you that we have your word to them, living and active, as you've spoken in history and spoken through your son Jesus in the scriptures. And so today as we hear your voice, help us not to harden our hearts by saying no, but to repent and believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.